There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight, I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch. Here it is. Long fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes! 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 Now get ready, this is the Platinum Sombrero Podcast with your hosts, Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert. What's up, everybody? It is another episode of the Platinum Sombrero, Dylan, Doc, and today we've got a colleague of ours, a good friend of the show, Andy Harris, my partner at OutfieldFlyRule.com. Andy, what's going on, bud? Uh, not a lot. How's it going, you guys? Just living Thank it up, man. Thank you for joining us, Andy. We definitely appreciate it. Living the dream on a very dreary Thursday afternoon. Uh I would say that it's the weather that's making it dreary, but I don't think that's entirely the case. Uh, Mike Soroka, 60-day DL. Uh, Ozzy Albies, 10-day DL. There is some silver lining, though. If everybody who's finally ready to see this, you guys are hearing this on Friday, so guess what? You'll be able to see Ronald Acuna tonight. Finally. We'll see. It's been 29 days, 31 days since he, uh, since he went out. You know, It's nice to see him back from somebody who's... Uh, knee or leg almost snapped like a wishbone when we were up in Boston. It's pretty amazing that he's uh, that he's back doing baseball activity. I love it. I didn't see that Ozzy Albies was on the 10-day DL. I think it's pretty much assumed that it's going to happen. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked if okay. they gave him some 10-day time. Just and They may not have put him on him right now. I could be talking out my behind there. Uh, but from where he got hit in the instep on a no-bounce, uh, I wouldn't be shocked if they do it just to take it kind of easy with him or even just to give him some rest time. It's a little bit different when you're talking about everyday players as opposed to pitchers since, darn it, there's no five-day DL. Um, But I would not be shocked if they decide to take it slow. Uh, A foot injury is is really weird when you're talking baseball Uh, just because a guy like Ozzy who his game is so predicated on speed – that's a lot of that's a lot of pressure to put on that foot, especially that instep. There's not really much you can do for an instep besides not be on your foot. Well, if they do wind up putting him on the DL, that's a shame because he was starting to look uh, look like Ozzy of old. They had five straight multi hit games. You know, that's 
Yeah, Ozzy and Soroka both be on the DL. That really that really takes the steam out of your sails. The Soroka I'm, I'm, thing. I'm, I'm glad I'm glad uh, Acuna's coming back. That'll that'll be great. But uh, the Soroka thing I think is a little worse. If they don't put Ozzy on the ten day, I don't think you'll see him play for maybe another two or three games. If he starts tomorrow, I will be a little shocked. Um, I don't feel like it's hard because Ozzy is kind of like the way Ozzy goes. That's the way the Braves offense tends to go. Uh, but I kind of feel like you should be a little bit more careful uh, because everybody else in the division is scuffling right now too. So this would not be a horrible time to work out a way to get Ozzy some rest. Lord knows he needs it. Um, my only question then on that would be, do you, I, I don't really want to see Culberson playing every day like that when Acuna comes back. By the way, hats off to Culberson. Played amazing while Acuna was out. Uh, but let's not forget what Charlie is. I think that you could still make a case for what did they do the, for the final game of the Cincinnati series? It was Camargo at second, Culberson at third. Is that how they had it architected? Yes. I mean, that's that's not horrible. I mean, especially if you got Acuna in left. No, that's not horrible. Yeah. The only question comes in at the top of lineup because I believe Ender uh, is a little nicked up as well. Um, I did not see what happened to him. Uh, I've, I've just been hearing through the grapevine and through everybody freaking out that he's a little lame right now. Um, that does kind of take – that takes a lot of the speed and base path pressure. You get some of that when you add in Acuna. Uh, but it, it does take out a lot of what the Braves like to do with their lineup. You also have the option – I know people are going to love this, but uh, you have the option of playing Dave. Or second or third as well. We know, we know Snicker loves getting Dan, Danny Santana in the lineup somehow, so uh, there's more opportunities there. How dare you say that, sir? <laughs> yeah, the uh, Danny Santana being batting second in the lineup really, really just did not sit well with a lot of people, and I, I just I can't figure out why. I can't figure out why. There's a lot of stuff that did sit well with a lot of people. Um, if you just went by the Twitter reactions, then you would have assumed that the Braves went from first place to being 20 games out of first and had their postseason hopes dashed all in one fell swoop. Now, that's not to say that it was not depressing to lose two home series to Baltimore and to a Cincinnati club that is playing much better but still has no pitching. Yeah, I saw... Um Ah, God, I really just want to shame this guy, but I can't remember what his name was. Talking about how the Braves were about to go 2-8 and eight over this series and how they're going to wind up deciding to sell. Uh, like, <laughs> I saw that as well. Like, man, we are still <laughs> in first place. Crazy. Yeah, not, o- not only are we still in first place, but we, we just played pretty much the worst baseball of the year, and we did not lose any ground whatsoever. Right. Which is pretty amazing. And that's the, that's the good thing. Um, there's not much good you can say about that series other than you got to see Ozzy hit his first walk-off home run. Looked like he was starting to come out of that bad stretch a little bit. Uh, but really, the Braves did not play well. And the bullpen, we can talk about that a lot, and we will in a little bit as we start to we start getting to what the answers may be. But there's no other way to say than the bullpen blew some games. Um the good news is the Nationals are still the worst mental team in the game. Like their their mental game is the worst of any team in the majors. Uh, and the Phillies, luckily, they dropped some games and didn't pick up ground because I don't know if a lot of people realize that the Phillies are right there with us too. Like it is a three team race right now in the East, not just the Braves and Nationals. And everybody keeps expecting Philadelphia to drop out of it at some point. 
I'm not necessarily sure that they will. I actually have more faith in the Phillies, as bad as this sounds, than I do the Nationals. Well, the Phillies haven't been full strength either. They've had some key people out too. So if they ever, if they ever can get back to full strength, I think they're a, they're a very serious contender. And by all accounts, they are really, really considering adding Machado uh, for the stretch run. Now, some of the the Philadelphia front office, uh, they were in the Baltimore front office when Machado got drafted. So they're very familiar with him. They are kind of enamored with him. And if they do that, I do I do wonder whether or not they'd have the inside track to re-sign him uh, in the offseason. So a Phillies team that is still kind of hanging with everybody, and they just just like the Braves, they have proven that they can uh, they can beat the Nationals. They can they can beat some of the premier competition in the National League. That Phillies team plus Machado, that is dangerous. That is a dangerous team. So, yeah, at this point, I think I'm probably just uh, I'm more concerned about uh, Philadelphia than I am with Washington. And, I mean, Washington, it's they might have just hit rock bottom. They got no hit into the seventh against Tampa uh, on Tuesday and then no hit into the sixth on Wednesday swept in a two-game series without scoring any runs, and then every, the bench is cleared after their Sergio second straight shutout. I mean, that's a desperate-looking team right now. And quite honestly, they should be. They don't have much going on for a team that has Scherzer and Strasburg and Harper and Rendon and Zimmerman, as much as I hate him, and Trey Turner. They they just they don't look like a, a team, and – People, you know, some people will poo-poo the idea of of chemistry on a baseball team. Oh, Jose Bautista, uh, but it is it is a real thing. Uh, and when teammates don't like each other, it's hard for players for someone to pick up the slack for for a team like that. It gets really hard to overcome when you start going down, and that that's one of the key things about Atlanta. I think that's one of the reasons why. Atlanta does so good late in games uh, as they are such a tight-knit group. They are such a, a, a competitive type of team. So in late-game situations, the Braves tend to stick together and, and help each other out and, and get better that way. But what you brought up about Machado, Doc, that's a really another really big point on that is Machado doesn't want to play third base. He wants to play shortstop. And Philadelphia, sure, they have J.P. Crawford. Um, let me think for a second if they would rather J- – if they would – they would refuse Machado at shortstop for J.P. Crawford. Uh, no, uh, that's not going to happen ever. Uh, so to that point, they, they already been playing Crawford at third base. Right? I mean, it's almost like they're they're already, they're already getting ready for it. Right. And to, and to Doc's point, that is, uh, I think they're one of the few teams out there that be like, hey, you want to play shortstop? That's that's right. You sign a deal with us. You're our shortstop from day one. Um, so I think that that could really happen. To be fair, I, I wonder what they'd have to give up. Uh, you would think that they would have to give up. Scott Kingery, uh, or I don't know if they'd give up Sixto Sanchez for for a rental unless they had an assurance. If they had an assurance that Machado was going to re-sign with them, I think you'll see Sixto Sanchez go, which, as a Braves fan, good, get him out of here. Uh, He looks really good, and I don't really want to face him. I don't want the Phillies to have Aaron Nola and Sixto Sanchez in the same rotation. So it's kind of a catch-22. I've never been as big on Machado as some of the other people around the league. I think Machado has a ton of great tools. Uh, I think he's got a lot of power. I think he's a great defensive third baseman. He's adequate at shortstop. Not a lot of range, but he's adequate there. And if Carlos Correa can play shortstop, so can Machado. But he's not a guy that worries me as much as some of these these top-tier guys. I don't know that I would put him in the same tier 
as even a Bryce Harper, who is having a bad season from a lot of surface stats, but is still providing a ton of value. I disagree. I'd rather have Machado. I think he gives you better defensive uh, flexibility. I think he's just as good a uh, power hitter. I think he's just as good an overall hitter. Um, they're the same age. Um, between the two, I would much rather have Machado. I think Philadelphia, regardless if they trade for Machado or not, they're going to sign one or the other. They're a financial juggernaut, uh, and their their books are pretty much clean. So um, they're going to be a factor, even if even if they're not a factor this year. And I, and I think they'll continue to hang around. But uh, I think the Braves and the and the Philadelphia Phillies will be battling out for this division for many years to come. I would agree. Yeah, I will. I will agree with you on that. I think that the you know because that that's such, such an old school rivalry. You know, that's that's been. It was interesting that both teams kind of took the path right around the same time, albeit for completely different reasons. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, there's there's going to be a lot a lot of really tense games between those two for between now and you know ten years from now. It's going to be great. The other thing yeah. to consider is Reese Hoskins. I don't know if you guys have noticed this today, but right like as of today, Reese Hoskins is the worst fielder, worst corner outfielder, defender that's behind Matt Kemp uh, in baseball. So Carlos Santana, I don't know how long he'll be staying there. Um, they got to move Reese out of left field. He's he's a first baseman. That's what he is, uh, and everybody's known it. This this smacks of them trying to play Tommy Joseph at a few other positions. Now Reese is ten thousand times more talented than Tommy Joseph was, but you got to know that they're going to find a way to get him more comfortable. Yeah, that was a curious signing from the get go. I mean, obviously Santana's an incredibly talented hitter, but. Uh, you're, you're absolutely right. Hoskins needs to be at first base. He's a kind of a train wreck in left field. Also, I apologize for my dogs barking here, but you know, apparently that's a platinum sombrero tradition, right? So exactly, mine will go off at some point up, as yeah. well. No, that, I think last week was actually the first time that we had made it an entire episode <laughs> without a barking dog. So right. it's good to go ahead and check that box. I knew I knew we'd never make it two in a row. We're a dog friendly show. Platinum Sombrero, we love your pets. Even you, Freddy's Gato. Maybe. <laughs> Especially Freddy's Gato. Especially Freddy's Gato, yeah. But not not to get too sidetracked by going off into the other teams of the division, the, the question on everybody's minds right now is what do the Braves do with the deadline? And everybody has an idea. Everybody has guys that they're kind of circling around. Um, Andy and I have talked a lot about, and I've been very open about this, guys, about how I'm all in on Jake DeGrom. That's who I want. I want the Braves to go big. I don't want them to shy away. I know it's going to cost prospects, uh, but if the the word came down the wire today that the Mets are listening on offers on both DeGrom and Syndergaard, which brings up an interesting debate uh, between who you would like more. And Andy and I have talked about this for a little bit, but I don't think you and I have talked about it, Doc. So let, let's let's have you start off on this. How about what what guy would you rather go for if you were to go for one of those two? Would you rather go DeGrom or Thor? That is that is really tough. Okay, so Syndergaard is obviously just when he's healthy, he's a, he's a generational talent, and he's he goes. Um, He's such a presence. He's almost kind of got that same. Uh, he's just he's just got a lot of swagger, you know. Whether whether it's just because of the hair or just whatever it is about him, he's so who he is is almost 
uh, as important as what he is and what he can do. But that said, there's no guarantees about his health right now. He he missed a lot of last season. He's got more control, so it's I don't want to say it's it's a push or a, a wash or anything else saying that that either part is equal. I think for right this year, if you want to compete this year, you go Degrom all day. If you want to compete in 2021, you go with Syndergaard. What do you think, Andy? Let, let's get your thoughts out there because I think just about everybody that follows me on Twitter knows which way I'm going to fall on this. So let's let's keep a little mystique. Yeah, I I, I uh, mostly agree with Doc here. Um, Syndergaard, he's now out with a uh, with a uh, strained ligament in his finger. Uh, that's obviously extremely concerning, and obviously he missed most of last year with injury as well. Um, the you know the the differential between the two pitchers beside the injuries, though, uh, Syndergaard has three years of control left. DeGrom only has two left. So um, in a vacuum, I would probably want DeGrom over Syndergaard. Uh, but if if you think that that ligament issue he has now is not going to be something that carries over and if you think he's fully healthy, I could certainly see going for the extra year of control with uh, Syndergaard, uh, but you know, put my feet to the fire right now. If asked me, you can have one or the other. I would say thank you, and then I would say I'll take Degrom. And I would agree. I I want Degrom, uh, and it's not just because of the injury history with Syndergaard. I actually think Degrom is the better pitcher of the two. Uh, I think Syndergaard might have the best pure stuff. Are certainly up there in all of baseball. Uh, we talk about a hundred mile an hour fastball, a ninety two mile an hour slider, uh, and a sinker that that moves the way his does. Degrom, I think, is the better pitcher of the two. I think Degrom is more consistent. And this year, purely speaking, this year there has not been a better pitcher in all of baseball than Jacob Degrom. I, it, it, it's so difficult when you talk about getting guys like these because either one of these are are one of the short list true aces and the term ace gets thrown around a ton uh people seem to think that every team should have an ace and i'm here to tell you that is not true uh if everybody has an ace then nobody has an ace because an ace is is something special it's not just the guy that you run out first Uh, i define an ace as a guy that you can put on the mound knowing you only need to score one to win a game uh, that that is how I view an ace. It's like when you when you go to the playoffs and you've got a one game set. If you got a, if you got an elimination game, you're handing the ball to Kershaw, or you're handing it to Bumgarner, or you're handing it to Degrom or Scherzer. Those are those are those are aces. Uh, when you get into that, the extra year of control on Syndergaard is huge. Uh, the ligament in the finger that doesn't worry me. That's kind of a freak injury. And it's really hard to tell if, if he's injury prone or if it's just because he's a Mets pitcher. Uh, it sounds it sounds bad to say. It just sounds like I'm ripping on the Mets. But honestly, it's true. I mean, when's the last time one of their pitchers actually made it through an entire season healthy? It just doesn't happen for them for whatever reason. I don't know what it is, uh, but every one of their pitchers always seems to get hurt. They ruined, um, they ruined uh, Santana's career. Um, but that said... There is a little something that needs to be said for for the fan base. If you do want to go down this road and get a guy like DeGrom or Syndergaard, which I do, you are going to shell out a ton. And this is something Andy and I have, have argued with a little bit back and forth good-naturedly. 
but you are going to give up massive, massive prospect capital. Yeah, and it's only and because how much is how much is Degrom making this year? Seven million, eight million, and and what's he going to get? You know, over the over the next over the next couple of years, by and large, what he can do for that price, that is going to command a lot of top tier talent. Not just one guy, not just two guys. It's going to take a couple of guys. I would almost be in favor of looking at somebody like Cole Hamels, where it's a step down on the on the performance track. Still pretty good, but because he's so damn expensive, you could probably get him for less less prospects and not have to mortgage the future in division and have to give up Kyle Wright, Ian Anderson, Austin Riley, or Drew Waters, or all of them. Not just some combination of that, but having to give up all of them. Now you just said something yeah. that uh, you said something that I do want to touch on real quick. Everybody's mentioning the in division thing, and that is that I guess is, is as divisive a topic as what you'd give up for him. I don't think a good baseball team cares about in division or not, especially when you're talking about a pitcher. Let's say you face the Mets 19 times a season. Uh, over the course of the two extra years that you'll have to Grom, you're talking about 12 to 15 starts. If you're talking about a return for a team that, by the way, has a crappy major league roster and a crappy minor league roster, you're talking about, you know, if you're talking about realistically a package, you're going to look at it's going to start with Kyle Wright. It's probably going to include Colby Allard because he could pitch for them right now. Uh, he doesn't have the ceiling of, of Kyle Wright, but it's probably going to include Colby Allard. It's probably going to include Austin Riley as well. And then you're talking about. That's three top tiers, so you're talking about maybe another. If you could fleece them, and it sounds weird to say this as a fleece, but if you could fleece them into taking like a Bryce Wilson as that fourth guy, you would. But they could pretty much control all the cards and say, no, we want Ian Anderson too. Uh, I don't think you would give up Riley and Pache in the same deal, uh, but they could certainly command a ton. And there's precedent for it. For everybody, before they freak out and say that's way too much, you've got two deals that point to what these two guys are going to cost. You've got what Chris Sale got for the White Sox, which was the number one and two prospect in baseball in Yohan Moncada and Michael Kopech, plus two other throw-ins who weren't even really ranked. But it got Moncada and Kopech. That's a huge value. Now, obviously, Sale was a big deal. He was the best pitcher on the market, three years of control, one of the top talents in all of baseball. Then you look at what the Cubs had to give up to get Jose Quintana, and they had to give up Aloy Jimenez, at the time the number two prospect in all of baseball, and Dylan Cease, another, what was he, top, top, no, was he, top, he was top 50, I can't remember if he was top 30, but he was number two in the Cubs system, and Quintana is nowhere near the caliber of pitcher that DeGrom or Syndergaard are, so when you're, when you're creating a deal, it's not necessarily about where they rank in your system. It's the value overall. So you're not giving up Acuna. You're not giving up Ozzy Albies. You're not giving up Mike Soroka, I wouldn't imagine. So you have to give commensurate value. So it's going to cost more in terms of overall prospects added. Um, the question would be, and I would like to see this happen in season. I want to see it now because I don't like the idea of hoping for a window. But is this more something that you see as an off-season trade more than a, a deadline deal for either of you? It's almost unheard of to to have a have a deal like this for that kind of player in season. Quintana was in season last year, um, and I think that's 
that's pretty much as good a player as you're going to see get moved. I know we saw J.D. Martinez move last year as well, but you know, I don't think he had quite the you know, the, the cachet that J.D. Martinez had had going into the offseason was in large part his performance with the Diamondbacks after the trade. So if you look at Quintana as a, you know, as a template for this, you're right. They gave up Eloy Jimenez, um, Dylan Cease, which if you're comparing the Quintana trade with the sale trade, you know, Cease isn't anywhere near the prospect that Kopesh has. So it was, it was a, a lesser um, package overall. Uh, but it's, it's very difficult to move a, a, a so-called true ace like DeGrom in the middle of the season. I, it, like I said, Katana is the only recent example I can even think of that even comes close. And I think we all agree DeGrom is a, is a considerably better pitcher than Katana. How much time did Quintana have left at the time? Three years. Two and a half years or three and a half years? Because he, he had a lot of control left. He's going to be a Cub for a good couple of years. Yeah, he's he's got two more years after this one. So at the time of the trade, he had he had three full years of control left. See, that's that's a bunch. And so if Jimenez and Cease were both top hundred guys, and it was a, and uh, the other two were not top hundred, and I guess it's the same thing for Mankata and and Kopech. They were they were really high up. I mean, they were like two and twenty or something like that. But the other two guys weren't top hundred. So. So I don't know. I mean, if you're looking at a guy who's got two years of control left, ace or not, by that rationale, that template, you you can do two of the guys that are that are top hundred, and the Braves have eight of them. Uh, even even some of the high ranking guys, like you you put in a you know Wright and and Anderson, and then you get some of the lower tier guys. I mean, not not quite on the the level of like Ray Patrick Ditter or. Um, you know, Roosevelt Estrada or any or anybody like that, but I don't know. It might not be absolutely, might not be as much of a gut punch. But I think you're right that that's something that you have to preach in the off season because if you're in a pennant race, I mean, Anthopoulos has, has proven that he is not afraid to to swing for it. You know, and since he's kind of got that track record, I wonder if these guys in New York, because you know, Sandy Alderson is stepping aside and it's going to be a, a new team that's going to be uh, taking charge of operations right now. Who knows what they're thinking and who knows what they're going to try and get. And if you can try and exploit the fact that somebody is, I, I use the term desperate about the nationals, who know if the, knows if the Braves are going to wind up getting desperate here uh, to, to make a move and, and kind of capitalize on the magic that they've already got this season. I think, I think, then you I have think to wait. Yeah, and then you've got the whole weirdness of just dealing with a New York team. I mean, the Mets are such a – they have such a strange um, a situation with their front office. Well, not their front office, but their ownership. You know, they're a New York team, but they act like a mid-market team. Um, they, they desperately want to keep headlines in New York. Uh, they want to try to compete with the Yankees in the press. Um Dealing, basically, I find it really hard to believe that they're going to go on a true fire sale slash rebuild. Uh, they they went through kind of a, a small rebuild, and eventually, it, you know, it got them to a World Series in 2015. Uh, but they never really committed in the same way that the Phillies or the Braves did. And 
I, I'm still skeptical that they're going to trade either the Grom or Syndergaard when it comes right down to it. Uh, I, I don't think the fan base has the stomach for that. I don't think their ownership has the stomach for that. I think you'll see them pursue smaller deals for guys that are that are uh, on the short term uh, short term uh, deals like uh, like Todd Frazier and uh, and Familia Therese Familia. Uh, I would I would be stunned if they actually did trade to Grom or, or Syndergaard. Sorry, sorry, Dylan. I know you got your heart set on it. <laughs> Well, I'm so I I love you, but I'm going to disagree with you. Uh, I think at some point somebody and somebody controlling that. I think the fact that the Braves and the Phillies look the way they do now, I think that's more of a template to show them. Hey, uh, right now we're acting like the Miami Marlins. Um, that's probably not the team that you want to emulate, especially if you want to compete with the Yankees in New York. Guess what's not going to do that? Being a team that has two good players and doesn't do anything. Um, they still have to find a replacement for David Wright, which that's why I think Austin Riley would be like a main guy for them to consider. And I'm not I'm not just saying that because I didn't like Austin Riley very much. I pretty much come around on him. I've admitted I was fairly wrong on him as it looks right now. Um, but I think that's a guy that the Mets would absolutely insist on. I think at the very least you're looking at Kyle Wright and and Austin Riley in the same deal. Um, but. Lo and behold, we can keep talking about that all we want. I'm sure I will keep running through your timelines uh, with with Degrom hopefuls until somebody tells me, until somebody in the Braves front office tells me it's not happening. I'm going to keep just trolling everybody with it. Uh, but the the question a lot of people on a lot of people's minds has been like Doc mentioned Cole Hamels. Uh, I wouldn't go Cole Hamels as much, but J. A. Happ is a guy that that gets mentioned a fair bit. That's a guy that wouldn't cost a whole lot. He's a free agent after this year, and he's quietly a very good pitcher. He's always been good, but he's kind of taken it to another level this year now that he's learned to actually strike people out as well. Jay Happ would be a very good addition to the club. Wouldn't cost as much because the Braves have a – it's both a blessing and a curse. They have a ridiculous amount of very strong trade capital, but it's only because they have so much – that they're basically wasting away some talent. And what I mean is is guys like Max Fried, uh, a guy who in nearly any other organization is going to be a top five prospect and be a number one pitching prospect for teams. He's almost in the third tier now, and Doc and I have talked about this before. You talk about where he's at in the wave of starters right now. I mean, you know he's behind Newcomb. You know he's behind Soroka. He's behind Allard. He's behind Gohara. Uh, he's he definitely viewed as less ceiling than Ian Anderson and some of these other guys. Um, you start looking at where he's going to slot in at. The best thing for Max Fried is going to be to get away from the Braves so he can start somewhere. And the Braves are going to have to start dealing some of these guys now or they're going to start ruining they're going to miss, I guess the best way to say they're not going to ruin anybody, but they're going to miss the boat on peak value for these guys. So even if it's not in season, I do think you could see a few of these guys moved, and Gohara is another one who you could see moved. Yeah, and and these guys that, you know, Freed is still a top 100 guy. Gohara is still a top 100 guy, you know, and so you look at certain teams, like, I mean, the, the Tigers have come out of a little, little bit, the Marlins have come out of a little bit, and the, the Angels, um, you know, you look at a team like the Orioles, who's just who just so hard up for this level of talent. I don't know, and and we're just our, our cups are overflowing. You know, 
how is it that that we've got a guy that's in the in the top hundred, but he's still relegated a third tier? You know, it's it's uh, you're right. It it is a blessing and a curse. And that's why I don't think we're actually going to pursue too many of these guys on one year deals. I think if we strike, it will be a guy with multiple years of control left. Uh, the the prospect price is going to be higher for that, but you're going to get a bigger return for it. Uh, J. A. Happ. He's a fine pitcher. Cole Hamels, he's still good. Um, but I don't think they are going to, you know, unless, unless Dylan, unless, unless you, like you say, Jay Hack comes relatively cheap. The thing about prospect capital is you can only spend it once. So once, once you trade Max Freed, you're done. You know, the, you don't have the opportunity to trade him again just because you have a deep uh, reserve of high uh, value uh, pitching prospects. We can, we've seen, we've seen the last two weeks, just how quickly that can evaporate uh, with uh, injuries and a, and a truly contending team really does need have need to have a, a starting pitching depth chart that's at least eight pitchers long. So, you know, when, when fans go, Hey, we've got all these pitching prospects, they can't all start when are we doing trade them? And they can't all start, but on the other hand, you can't just trade them just to trade them either. And and I'm not saying a trade for Jay Happ or Cole Hamels would fall in that last, last category, but um, I, I think that the targets that the Braves are going to look at are going to be guys with uh, more years of control. And last thing on the trades, because we've got we've got some more that we have to talk about in terms of the Braves right now. Uh, but I do owe Andy an apology. Uh, I have come full circle. I don't think that the Braves like Tuki Toussaint's name has been bandied about on a few trades, not just that one horrible one that I saw on Twitter, but he's been he's been mentioned a few times. Um, I don't think that Tuki Toussaint's a guy that the Braves would want to trade for the simple reason of people kind of just accept the fact of, oh, well, if he's not a starter, you move him to the bullpen. Not every guy can do that. We've seen that with Max Freed. We seem to have seen that with Luis Gohara. Some of these guys, when you're a feel type of pitcher, you're a game feel type of pitcher, it takes you more than an inning to get involved in it and to be at your best. So for a reliever, that's not the number one way to go. Max is not a – Max is certainly not a bullpen guy. Gohara, I don't think, is a bullpen guy. Uh, there, there's a few others. There's a few others in the minors that are like that. I don't think Soroka would be particularly good out of the bullpen. Just like I don't think Colby Allard would be particularly strong out of the bullpen. Tuki Toussaint, what makes him so special is he has an insanely high ceiling as a starter, and he also has an insanely, insanely high ceiling as a back end bullpen guy, perhaps even a closer. So that's one of the guys that I think. I think I've come for. I think I've done a 180 on that. I don't think the Braves would look to include Tuki Toussaint in any of those trades because of the versatility that he offers you. Uh, I'm glad to hear you say that. Yes, that's. I think you need to identify. We've got all these pitch prospects. We really need to identify who truly is the high ceiling guys. You know, Tuki Toussaint is has been kind of a slower burn through our system. Um, you know, he, I say that he just turned 22 years old, so it's not like he's been around forever. But it seems like it because we got him very early in the rebuild, um, and we've seen prospects like uh, Soroka and Allard kind of pass him through the system. But all at, at all times, Tucson was higher 
and that's finally he's finally getting that into minor league games. And uh, yes, I, I, I Toussaint would be one of the last people that I would deal. Now, you know, obviously anybody is tradable, and if uh, and if you're looking at Tucson as a centerpiece for for a deal for someone like Degrom, you know, that's different. But trading Toussaint for a for a uh, a player like Hap or Hamels, for example, I think that's that's particularly short sighted. And, and the other picture that I, I see a lot uh, put into uh, uh, trade guesses is Ian Anderson, uh, who to me is on on that kind of similar level. He's going to be a, a slower burn through the system because he's he's raw, but he's got um, he's got a similar ceiling to uh, to Tucson. Um, if if it was you know if it was my choice the you know, I wouldn't be looking to train anybody, but if, if I was in discussion with somebody, I would try to push them more into the into the Allard, Wentz, Bryce Wilson, uh, that kind of area. Those are still guys I, I like a lot, uh, but just just their ceilings are not quite as high. And Dylan, I know you're going to disagree on <laughs> I am. I am very much. And speaking of Joey Wentz, thank the Lord I have something good to say about him again because I've I've refrained from talking about him very much in recent weeks because, uh, boy, his mechanics were all sorts of out of whack. Uh, But now he's turned in two two really strong starts again as we transition to talking about some of the minor leagues again, which is where Andy uh, is is as good or better than anyone else. Uh, Joey Wentz, did you see anything about it? It's notoriously hard to see any film from Florida. Um, but just judging by the line, there's still a few things that are, are still a little concerning. He's not striking out people like Joey Wentz is supposed to strike people out, but the carrying the, was it the no hitter into the sixth inning was, I could, I could let out a breath. He's done it two starts in a row. Looks like he's back on track. Yeah. I haven't seen any footage, so I can't, I can't verify anything. I, I, I still haven't seen exactly. I know, um, uh, Jason, uh, Jason Woodard put out that put out an article about Wentz earlier. I think he was one of your one of your uh, yeah me and, earlier. Me and him mushed him. Uh, we, me and him, and just a little background. Me and Jason Woodell, um, at Jason at the game. We probably went on for about ten minutes talking about how much we love Joey Wentz and how we both think that mm-hmm. he is probably a much higher ceiling prospect than really just about anybody else in the system and just about what anybody else thinks he's going to be. And promptly after that, Wentz's mechanics went all out of whack. So I tried to refrain from talking about him, but I'm going to give him props. Yeah. Yeah, it, he's, he's a must-follow on Twitter as well. I'll, I'll, I'll say that just, just for having somebody with uh, uh, his, his level of – Eye for detail, being able to look at the Florida State League, which is largely invisible to, you know, people people outside of Florida. So, so I, I don't know, I don't know what Wentz looked like, but the main the main thing I took from his last start was the six innings pitch that he that he got into that level. Um, if you know the if he can start keeping into that sixth inning, get into the seventh inning, uh, I'll feel a lot better about, about Wentz. Um, I'm, I'm certainly pulling for him. I mean, he was, he was so dominant in Rome last year. 
just a just a fascinating guy to to watch pitch. Uh, probably the last guy I would imagine to get out of whack mechanically. So that was that was very very surprising when that happened in May. Yeah, Wentz is uh, Wentz has been one of my favorites too, and I, and I, I'm with you. Just seeing him go six, you know, he took he was out for a month or so, and having two really strong starts, it's nice to see because his walks just skyrocketed when it when he was uh, when he was kind of falling open and just it was it was his front leg. He wasn't he wasn't planning the same uh, as he had been before. So now I, I I think he walked one maybe two over, over those the entire. Uh, the last two games. So it's nice, nice to see him back on track. And how weird was that, that he was out for almost a full month and yet he never went on the disabled list. He was on the active roster. He just never, I, 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 I would love to know what was going on there. I would almost guarantee it was them trying to get his mechanics into whack and they didn't want him to go on a prolonged bad stretch because he is a guy that is seen as a quick mover. <clears throat> Now, when we say quick mover, it is with it is different because you can't. And this is going to be the hard thing for a lot of Braves fans. You don't, you can't hold every prospect to the same status that Allard and Soroka accrued, where they and Gohara, where they flew up two or three levels in the course of a season. That's not normally what it means by quick riser. That's like that's unheard of. That's unicorns. Most quick risers is one to two, like one level a season and then get up there and then spend a little bit of time in AAA before you go into the majors. So another one of these quick risers who some people I've seen some people start to wonder about is Kyle Wright, who had one of the weirder performances in his last game. Um, five and two-thirds innings, I believe it was. Uh, 13 strikeouts, which was a new career high for him, obviously outstanding. All four pitches were, were getting swing and misses there. And four wild pitches. I don't know that I've seen somebody do that before in a in, in, in that type of level of game for the Braves. I don't know that I've seen four wild pitches and double-digit strikeouts. Yeah, he's like uh, Mauricio Cabrera meets Ricky Vaughn. That's uh, that's a that's an amazing that's an amazing line. His career high in strikeouts coming into that game was eight, and, and he almost wound up doubling that. So uh, it's impressive, and and he did it at home too. His, his his home road splits are, are so incredibly extreme. You know, I don't even I don't even know what to make of it. But he's he's a good he's a really good case for why ERA doesn't tell the full story because his ERA is still four point two five somewhere around there, and his FIP is like three point one five or something like that. You know, he's uh, it, it looks bad because of the general inconsistencies with him pitching at Trustmark. Bad up against at home is in the. 400 430 range so it's hard to really know what to make of this season for him and for a guy who's who's striking out 13 just the the movement on his pitches has got to be insane especially if he, if there's still the four wild pitches to go with it it's like I, I don't know if it was alex jackson who was catching him but whoever it was back there was having a hell of a time yeah, I imagine the catcher telling the hitters yeah i wouldn't dig in there if i was you again <laughs> Um, I want I yeah. want you to hit the bull. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I need to go back and and look at the uh, at the footage from uh, from the performance last night. So I I can't tell you what Wright was doing. If if, you, if I if I was going to take a guess of what was going on between his road and home uh, splits, 
I'd probably just say baseball is weird and that's it. <laughs> yeah. Um, if, if I was going to dig into it anymore, I might look at maybe his, his outfield defense. Uh, Trust Mark is notoriously spacious and it has a spacious outfield. Uh, the, the Rome Braves defense, uh, the outfielders tend to be Tyler Nesloni, uh, um, Mississippi and, uh, Travis Demerit. Uh, these aren't exactly, uh, gold glove outfielders by any stretch of the imagination. So, um, I, if I was going to take a guess, I would say that might have something to do with maybe that bad dip at home being so high. Now, you know, you're about to get yelled at for insinuating that Tyler Nesloni can't play defense. Um, <laughs> but it is kind of funny that uh, the lower levels of the minor leagues, Rome and Florida, have kind of hoarded all of the top tier outfield talent. Uh, when you talk about Pache, Andrew Waters, uh, the, and Izzy Wilson is a phenomenal fielder as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's see who else is is Ditter playing outfield, or is they got him playing shortstop still? Yes, I think he's just kind of moving around everywhere. Oh, kinda, yeah, he's he's a shortstop tonight. Okay, so they've got more defense down there in the lower levels, and um, I, I don't know. I would agree. I think that that has a lot to do with it, uh, and the fact that Trustmark is huge, it's almost like it's like the Tiger State or Comerica Park of minor leagues. So if a ball falls somewhere and it gets to the wall, that's triple easy. Um, and I don't think either of the outfielders there you mentioned. Now, Demerit has a pretty good arm. He's got a strong enough arm from third base, so he's got a good arm. Um Nesloni has a fringe arm anyway, so I don't think he's gunning anybody down. So I really just wanted to ask how you guys feel about Kyle Wright uh, from from what you've seen. Do you still have as high a ceiling on him? Do you still like him as much as when the Braves made him the fifth or overall pick last year? I still think very highly of him. I, I think he's got he's obviously got some things he needs to work on. I think mechanically he's got some things to work on, just being being more consistent. Um, but he's, you know, going back to our earlier uh, conversation about high ceiling guys, he's right there. He's right there with Tukey. He's right there with Anderson as, as far as guys that I think uh, their ceilings are just higher than the other guys. Um, but he may not be quite the, the fast riser that, I, that maybe some people thought he was going to be when we drafted him. I mean, there was – was talking when we drafted him that he may be in Atlanta by the end of 2018. I I didn't see it then. I sure don't see it now. I mean, he, he, he's probably going to be in the mix, but at some point in 2019, but he's, he's still got a lot of development to, to do, but boy, he, he, he's an exciting talent. When he's on, they, there's there's not many people in the organization that's as dominant. It's funny because I look a little bit hypocritical because if you just look at the two of them, his development kind of mirrors Fulton Evitz a little bit uh, where they have mm-hmm. high-impact stuff. Um, the mechanics leave a lot to be desired at times. Now, I think mm-hmm. Kyle Wright is much better mentally than Fulty was at that stage of their career. But I think if you're looking at a trajectory, I think that's a pretty similar trajectory where it may be a little bit longer than people think. But as Doc mentioned, he if you're kind of just scouting stat lines, it doesn't look as good. It's kind of cherry-picking the stats when you just look at ERA and, and BAPIP against can kind of show that. One of the guys who's benefiting from it, though, is Kyle Muller, who 
I was notoriously low on last season. Uh, I saw a lot of video on him last season, and they were things that I did not like. I did not think he would remain a starter. Well, coming into this season, he ironed out his mechanics beautifully. He dropped to a three-quarter arm slot instead of a more over-the-top, and it worked wonders. Well, since he's got the promotion, his his numbers look good. I believe he's... Was he three and one? Was it a two thirty four ERA? Two thirty four ERA. I can see the problem with him is the BABIP against him is extremely low. Um, he's one of these guys that he's pitching better than his number, or he's not pitching as well as his numbers are indicating. Now, Andy, you followed Kyle Muller even more closely than I have. What are you thinking about Kyle Muller? I think that Kyle Muller is very consciously trying to pitch to contact. And I think that is because he's still trying to find him. He's trying to find his way as a pitcher. Um, he's, you know, and he's very, he's very tall. Uh, he's coming down three quarters. Now it's really shortening the uh, distance to the plate for his pitches, but his, uh, his fastball, his fastball is pretty much low 90s at this point. I don't. It doesn't look like he's going to be the kind of strikeout monster we were kind of hoping for, or even that he was showing late last year uh, in Danville. So I think I think Moeller is, is, tr- is starting to kind of make a transition into into what kind of player he is. I mean, you're right exactly about. Uh, about how he's been pitching in Florida. I mean, he's got a he's got a 3.12 ERA that looks solid, but he's a, his batting line against is 281, 3.68, 3.31. He's doing a good job keeping the ball in the park. He's not giving up a lot of extra base hits, but they are making uh, solid contact against him, and they are uh, drawing walks against him, and he's kind of been you know, uh, dancing, dancing between the tombstones a little bit. You know, if you look at it, Mueller's first two starts in Florida, he walked nine over eight and two thirds, which is, uh, which is obviously not That's good. bad. But since then he has ironed that out a little bit, uh, coming into tonight, he had 3.63 walks per nine. Um, and that does not include tonight's start. Uh, so far he's pitched five innings, struck out five, six hits, no walks, no runs. So, he he was one of the guys that it looked like, you know, because he was in the, in that same draft class with Anderson and Wentz and Bryce Wilson, who all leapfrogged him. And then Mueller was in Rome, and now and now he's in in the same rotation with with uh, with all of those guys. Or uh, uh, Wilson has, has since moved up, but but Mueller got he got promoted super early in the season, and he he has really progressed a lot i think so you're right he's not going to be that guy that that looked like he was striking out 13 per nine or, or something like that but he's still just another useful piece the the rich get richer and i and this sounds weird but i do think there's still tr- uh, strikeout potential down the road i think whenever you talk about a guy that's shifted his mechanics and he's switched to an arm slot i don't really care about the strikeout numbers per se right now uh, I think what a lot of the guys in the Braves organization and every organization do when they're when they're just coming in, when they're figuring out, like Andy said, figuring out what type of pitcher he's going to be, I think they back off of their stuff a little bit. Like you've seen Sean Newcomb do at the big league level this year, which to me is, is unheard of for him to have the success he has completely changing his style of pitching. I think Mueller still has some stuff in the tank, but when you drop to that three-quarter arm slot, he might not be able to throw 96-97 from that three-quarter, but... 
he now has an actual effective breaking ball, which he did not have over the top. So he may end up being a better pitcher because of it. It is a uh, he, he's taken. He might be the most improved pitcher that I've that I've really looked at and noticed. He might be the most improved out of those young groups. Uh, Ian Anderson would definitely give him a run for his money there. But for where they were at coming in. I did not see any hope that Mueller would be able to be a consistent starter. Now I'm seeing where Mueller might actually be. I might start considering Mueller one of the top arms in the system, period. And that's that's to go with a ton of other arms. Um, another another thing, we have to give a little congratulations to Bruce Zimmerman, follower of the TPS podcast, which is awesome. Uh, Bruce Zimmerman gets called up from low A to double A. Little bit shocking. Gets to skip high A. Me, Doc. I think you and I touched on this last week. I think we asked. Uh, I think we asked Wayne Cavati last week just how long it would be before he gets called up. Lo and behold, he goes out and dominates at the All Star game. Now he's in Mississippi. I I love it. You know, he's uh, he's such a such a great story. You know, super super tiny school, but he's always been that control artist, ground ball guy. And uh, and since he was a little bit little bit older, he was twenty three, dominating in low A. So. Uh, would have just been marginal gains by bumping him up to to high A. So um, it's nice to see him. It's nice to see him get the jump. So Bruce, if you're listening, uh, congratulations! And uh, I think he gets his first start. See, this episode will drop on Friday, so he will get his first start tonight. So I'd be really interested to see where his strikeout numbers are at now that he's at Double A because he was well, something absurd, almost 13 strikeouts per nine, was it in Rome? I will be. It was. 10 plus with uh, sub three walks per nine. I will be very interested in where he's at in double A. If he's somewhere around eight to nine strikeouts per nine innings in double A, I think the Braves are going to have another Bryce Wilson situation on their hands, maybe even like a, a bigger Bryce Wilson because he was a, a lesser draft pick than that. But it's going to be that same situation of a guy who comes out and is just far better than what you originally thought. Yes, I mean, he could. He could very well be the kind of uh, Patrick Weigel of the of the of the last draft class. I mean, it's the the strikeout numbers were, were fantastic with Rome. You know, caveated with he is a little bit older. He's got he's a guy with good control and a and a good changeup and and pitchers like that tend to really dominate that A level. Uh, so it's it's very good that he's now being given a, a challenge. Uh, I've been hoping that he'd get moved up for a while now. I'm guessing he's moving to Double A simply because there's they want to keep the guys that are currently pitching for the Fire Frogs uh, at that level, and I can I can see that. I'm not sure who they would move up from from that group if they wanted to. I think Anderson still needs to be at that level, and, and certainly Joey Wentz does. Um, and, and those guys. So, uh, so double A, they had recently lost Sal, um, Sal Giardina up to, up to Gwinnett. So there was a dearth of really good mustaches at the double A level. <laughs> and here comes Bruce Zimmerman to, uh, to fill that, uh, fill that void. So, uh, so Bruce, if you're listening, good luck. We're all counting on you. And make sure that mustache stays glorious. And also, you mentioned Patrick Weigel. Uh, we should give him a shout-out as well. Fantastic news to hear that Patrick Weigel is about, about ready to get back on the mound. Um, a guy who, quite honestly, he was the next man up before he got hurt last year. He was going to come up instead of Sean Newcomb and, and Lucas Sims. He was ahead of both of them. Um, 
and he was certainly ahead of Gohara, and he was ahead of, of Soroka, and he was ahead of Allard. He had just come out of nowhere completely kind of reinventing what he was as a prospect. Then to go down with the Tommy John, that was tough to see. Uh, I'm very much looking forward to seeing Patrick Weigel come back. And I'm interested to see. I was interested before, before we added all the arms that we did. I was interested to see where he would fall in terms of, of where he would be with all of these guys. And I'm just as interested now to see where he ends up. I, I like Weigel a lot. Uh, I liked his demeanor before he got hurt. He was a guy that he had strong stuff, mid-90s fastball. But he was not a guy that... This is going to sound weird, but he's not a guy that that had to go out and look for the strikeout. He was a guy that knew very well that sometimes it's better off just to get weak contact early in the count, which is what I really, really liked. He's a guy that I think can go deep into ball games, so I'll be very excited to see Patrick Weigel come back. Yes, that was by far the best news as far as uh, uh, that last week that uh, that we got in the minor league news. So. Uh, Weigel, if he if he comes back and he's he's as good as he was, and you're going to see him in Atlanta at some point in 2019, it's uh, that was very heartening uh, to see that video. And uh, he's also someone that's consistently uh, talked about as being one of the great teammates. Uh, you ask any of those guys from that uh, 2016 Rome team, you know, to a man, they'll say that Patrick Weigel was was kind of the you know the leader of that group. And I think I think uh, when I think of Patrick Weigel, I think of when uh, when the Rome Braves were coming back home from the championship game where they won the uh, South American League uh, South Atlantic League uh, championship. It was up, up at Lake uh, Lakewood, and they were coming coming back. And it was a long trip, and they arrived back in Rome after midnight. And Patrick Weigel was there to greet the team, even though. He had moved up to Mississippi by then, so he drove all the way from Mississippi to be there to celebrate with his former teammates. Uh, I think that says a lot about his character and uh, and uh, certainly in pulling for the guy. And, I mean, he, he's a good pro- he's a very good prospect in his own right, so it's not just the fact that you want to root for a good guy. He's also a very good pitcher in his own right. So we got two more questions. Oh, his stuff is nasty. His stuff is so nasty. Yeah. It's, uh, and he's a, he's a guy that, you know, you talk about guys, who, you know, who could possibly move to the bullpen. Um, he's already done it. He is a guy. Yeah, he he's done it. He was he he pitched in relief in in college. Uh, he could be very effective in that role. That's not to say he couldn't be an effective starter either. And I'm sure that they'll keep him in the rotation until they either can't anymore or just don't want to anymore. Uh, but he's he's definitely going to be someone that that I think will be a key contributor at some point within the next 12 to 18 months. Pitching-wise, he reminds me a little bit of Robert Gesellman as one of those guys that you could really use as a starter or a reliever. It doesn't really matter. He's going to go out there and he's going to do his thing. Um, Two more things, and then we'll get to everybody's favorite segment of the show. Uh, Real quick, quick, uh, nice little shout-out for some uh, some All-Stars for was it the internet or for Gwinnett basically Colby Allard gets named to the all-stars no shocker there uh Carlos Franco one of my favorite guys if you were to ask me my favorite guy who I don't think is much of a prospect in the brave system it's Carlos Franco I love Carlos Franco um I love that he's he's having a good power year this year uh he's moved over to first base which I was kind of hoping he'd be able to stay at third a little bit longer but I'm happy to see him doing well 
And then Evan Phillips. I don't think there's anybody more deserving of an all-star slot than Evan Phillips this year, even though he his brief major league career to date was, you know, 12 hours. Yeah, he and he and Wes Parsons um, kind of got a got a raw deal this week, but uh, we'll we'll wind up seeing both of those guys back, and you know they are they're already kind of urban heroes for everybody in the uh, on on Braves Twitter because you know it's what what might have been in this past series, you know. So uh, congratulations to those guys, and uh, you know I've, Allard and Phillips could both wind up helping uh, later later this season. I think we'll see both of those up, Carlos. I, I just don't know. I, I, I don't think that's going to happen. But. He doesn't come up unless Freddie gets hurt. God forbid that doesn't happen. I'm knocking on wood right now. Dude! <laughs> I'm knocking on wood right now. Uh, but I, I, I love seeing Carlos Franco succeed. Uh, I did have a question, though. Michael Reed is the other hot name around campus right now. Is a guy who the Braves got for nothing because he was basically a drawn-out prospect who had kind of lost all of his luster and all of his sheen. Is he for real? I can't figure this out. His BABIP is is unsustainably high. It's higher than Camargo's was at the big league level last year. But it's been this way for over a month. Yeah, the guy won't stop hitting line drives. That's why. I, he's, just, he's so locked in, and he's been locked in for the better part of, of uh, six weeks now. Uh, they moved him up a level. Uh, he didn't really skip a beat. I mean – over the past couple of weeks, his performance has dipped off a little bit, but it, it's still very high. Uh, so, yeah, congratulations to Michael Reed for, for resurrecting your career. Um, and uh, if he keeps this up, I, I, I don't see how they, they can't at least give him a look in September. I mean, if you were to ask me before the season uh, of guys that were potential call-ups, not in my wildest dreams would Michael Reed have entered that conversation. But at this point, you're you're right. Even if this isn't who he is for the course of his career, you almost have to ride this out while it's hot, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. Well, go ahead. Oh, I'm just just gonna say that. I mean, if you're if it's between, and this is kind of the similar argument to to the, the Dustin Peterson thing, where it's like if it's between either of those guys and Peter Borges or Danny Santana, I mean. Even if the production is is going to wind up being the same, at least you're taking the chance on the guy. You know, you you know what Santana is, you know what Borges is. You you kind of don't really know what you've got with Reed or Peterson until you just kind of drop him in there and say, you know, give it what you got and and see see what happens. So uh, I don't know how fast he is, but he like you said, he hits a lot of line drives, really high average, uh, really good field to hit. And uh, he's got some power in there, too. So even if he's a fourth outfielder at best, I mean, that's a, that's a really good asset to have on your bench. If he's a fourth outfielder, he's about three outfield positions better than I thought he was when the Braves originally acquired him. I thought he was like a seventh outfielder. Uh, and yeah. his Brewers career, he was. So very, very happy for Michael Reed. Hope he continues it up. I would, If he keeps this up, I agree with Andy. I think you have to see him at some point when you're looking at filling some of these outfield slots in September uh, or when you just get tired of seeing Peter Borges come up. Um, I think you about have to. And one more thing before we get to the segment. This is something that's been kind of percolating for a while. As the Braves have gotten better and better, how they or how surprising they've been this year, jumping out to this lead, uh, social media has kind of gone crazy. Um, and I'm not here to tell you how to be a fan. The only thing I will tell you is don't move the goalposts. Expectations are fine, but when, when we came into this season – I was one of the highest people on the Braves, and I said 84 wins, and I was one of the highest on the Braves. 
That was the goalpost before the season was compete to be 500 and be in talking points about a wild card. Right now, you're talking about a team that is has a huge sample size and is in the division and looks like they can really win this division, and I really believe that. Now, will I be disappointed if they crash and burn? You better believe it. I will be disappointed. But in the main scope of things, it's okay to be, and I've mentioned this, I've, I've I said this before about uh, kind of partitioning your mind a little bit, kind of hold two things in mind at the same time. The greater scope of things is realize that this is still a year ahead of schedule. This has still been a monumentally surprising and giant leap forward for the organization. And then in that smaller part of your mind that's in the moment right now, enjoy what's going on, get, you know, be a be a fan, get excited or everything. But when you start seeing the takes of we need to fire Alex Anthopoulos uh, or we need to like when Vizzy has a bad day, we need to trade Vizzy right away. Well, you've seen how good that the uh, the closer situation has been since Viz came back. Can't wait to see him back on Sunday. Um, or when Winkler blows his one chance at a save. Oh, Winkler's horrible. That type of stuff is something that needs to be curtailed a little bit. Um, it's not good for your blood pressure, folks. It's it's not healthy for you to be that way. It's uh, it's pretty bad for for everybody around you's blood pressure too. Um, you know, when you when you start getting to uh, to a certain point, like if you've got, you know, a thousand, two, three, five, eight thousand followers, and you're just perpetually tweeting negative after negative after negative, it you does know who you are. start to shape the public opinion a little bit. And you, you know, know who you are. Yeah, if, if you think I'm talking about you, I probably am. Um, but. Yeah, I mean, just there. There are plenty of things. Like if you told me before the season that we would wind up being forty-five and thirty-four and in first place halfway halfway through the season, I don't care what the surrounding context is. Give me that all day long, you know. And that's the problem and, uh, when you hear it at the beginning of the season when you're not in it at the moment. Like, oh yeah, heck yeah, take that. That's awesome. Then when you're in it and things and you you just keep trying to ride the wave up, 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 and up, and it gets more stressful, then it starts going down. My problem, and I think who Doc is talking about as well, my problem is the ones who have been uh, completely negative from day one and everything, literally everything they post is nothing but downing every decision that the Braves make. And when, if, if you find yourself doing that after the Braves have won a game or have led a game through the entire game and still finding things to do about that, we've got a problem. I just don't think you're much of a Braves fan at that point. Well, for me, Rome's already clinched a playoff berth, so this has been a successful season right. already. It's, you're, <laughs> it's good for you. Your team's already going playoffs, and you, you've got your sights set a lot higher. Yeah, that's right. We're, uh, we're going to the playoffs no matter what, so whatever that Atlanta team does, that's just gravy. You're just hoping that they don't trade all the, or all the great guys from Rome don't get promoted. Oh, they can't. They can't trade anybody from Rome. You know, before the end of the season, we got to we got to win the championship first. Right. I, I'm only joking, sort of. But, He's not really you know, joking, this, folks. This uh, this Atlanta team it's it's been so much more fun to watch, and I know the, the last couple series have been kind of painful, but uh, the fact that they're doing it and they're doing it with a with sticking to the plan for the most part about about bringing their their young players up and and kind of uh, you know putting them in the lineup. We've you know we've seen over the course of the year they just they've kind of added 
it seems it seems like like every other week they add another brand new player into the mix. You know, sometimes they get into the game and sometimes they don't. Sorry, Evan Phillips and Wes Parsons. Hopefully you're back soon. But, you know, at least these guys are getting on the 40-man roster, which means that they will be up at some point. I mean, it's it's kind of inevitable with the way that the, the plan, you know, the plan has always been to kind of churn through pitchers to try to keep people uh, fresh. So those guys will be back. They will get into games. Uh, Acuna is back. Uh, we have we have Swanson, we have Albies. Uh, it's this is such an exciting team to to follow right now. Uh, it's it's hard for me to be negative generally, uh, and uh, fan you know fans they they're going to fan the way they want to, and that's great if you support the team and you're a friend of mine. But uh, but I've only got. I've only got 500 followers, so what I say is not going to mean too much. <laughs> well, and I, I do want to preface that by saying it doesn't mean that I agree with everything that Snicker does. He makes plenty of dumb moves. Um, you mentioned the Wes Parsons thing. Uh, you and I talked about it with Lucas Sims when he got in way too early in the game. That doesn't mean that you don't call them out on, on moves that are bad moves, but you don't move the posts, and you don't – when you act like this team is supposed to be 100 – 20 game winner and like, Oh man, they're ruining everything. Then you start to lose a little bit of gumption and then you're just bringing me down, man. And that's something I don't want to deal with right now. I'm, I'm on a high right now with this team. I want to keep this high going. I don't want to plateau and drop off. I'm not ready for the hangover afterwards. So off the soapbox. Now we're going to get to everybody's favorite, everybody's favorite section. Uh, everybody's favorite segment. This is the one uh, that I know you've all been, been waiting for. So thank you for being patient and doc. I already see the first question. I love it. I'm going to steal it from you. Um, so, Andy, we had a little bit of a conflict between Nakahoma Nation. Uh, they seem to have stirred the pot in a way that they did not attend, intend to. Um, build your perfect breakfast and then tell me, I don't even know why I'm asking this question, but IHOP or Waffle House. We all know the one answer that has to be. So, build your perfect breakfast. Wow, my perfect breakfast. Uh, uh, eggs scrambled, um, two flapjacks, uh, or I'm sorry, pancakes. Thank uh, you. With uh, genuine uh, maple syrup, uh, sausage to go with the pancakes, bacon on the side, and uh, some little fresh fruit just to get a little fiber in, a uh, big glass of orange juice, and a bottomless cup of coffee. My man. And what is it? Waffle House or IHOP? IHOP, sorry. Any idiot can scramble eggs and make pancakes. They're they're both good. I eat both both places fairly much interchangeably. Sorry. Sorry, that's a that's a That was the most PC uh, answer I've ever had. That was you just made my dog cry. That was the most PC answer I've ever heard. You sit there and you give Sorry. me an actual answer, Andy Harris. All right. I'll tell you what. I'm going to say Waffle House simply because that whole IHOB thing that uh, the International House of Pancakes uh, did as a as a stunt a couple weeks ago. That was terrible. So just for that, I'm going to say Waffle House. Thank you. Yeah, I think. Uh, you know, Ken, 
Ken is certainly entitled to his opinions. He has earned the right to to project them. Uh, the IHOP over Waffle House thing. That's not a thing. Waffle House forever. Anthony Bourdain's description of Waffle House and the the scene of him eating there for the very first time was just magic. So, yeah, Waffle House all day. Now, what's your perfect breakfast, Doc? You know, I uh, I have eaten the same thing for breakfast every uh, during the week, uh, every morning for the last God four years. Um, take some some blueberries and uh, and a packet of almond butter. And heat it up, and then you put some toasted almond and coconut, uh, cinnamon, um, chia seeds, and then you put a little quinoa in there, and then uh, enough whole milk to where everything can just kind of absorb. It's basically somewhere between uh, like oatmeal and cereal. It's delicious. Quinoa is one of these things that it takes on the flavor of whatever you put with it, and you put all that. Wonderful. I can't but, tell you how disgusted I am with you right now. I, d- I don't have no. the right words. Well, I, I tell you that to say this. I mean, that, that, is a, that is a pretty healthy breakfast, actually. But at this point, I would just like to eat an entire box of Golden Grams because I, I miss when I would eat actual cereal. There we go. I, yeah, I don't know. You, you kind of had me at, at almond butter. I love that stuff. That sounded really good, actually. I like no, almond it's, butter. It's, you lost me at chia seeds and quinoa. Hey, man, look, I still, I still got I still gotta be healthy. You know what I mean? And, and like I said, the quinoa, it's more just kind of like the, the filler. It serves as the as the protein. The milk, you know, it, it's uh, quinoa you. soaks up all the milk and then the, the juice from the blueberries. Dude, I'm telling you. Yeah, you and, your, you. you and your Tom Brady diet. Let me Americanize this. One, Waffle House, no question. Sorry, Ken. Love you. You're wrong. That's your worst take ever. Change it. Um, here's the perfect breakfast, gentlemen. Giant cup of coffee. I agree with Andy. Bottomless cup of coffee. Don't ever let it end. Bacon. Bacon. More bacon and some eggs. That's all you need. Maybe some sausage links, too, if you want to get crazy. But you got to go with the fried eggs in the morning. I can Yeah. I, uh, fried eggs, I'll over go. easy, whatever. Because you got to get, over when you easy. get that, if you do the sausage links, you got to do with the with the fried egg or the over medium is, is what I like the most. Get that mixed up in that yolk when it's all runny. Perfect. You go links over patties? Depends on what I'm having. So I like the links a lot if I'm doing fried eggs. If I'm doing scrambled eggs, I like the patties or obviously biscuits, then it's the patties. But right. the sausage links, I like because I like being able to, I like to put, I like getting them in the yolk. I think that's my favorite part of it. So very traditional breakfast. My dad is a very traditional eater. So growing up when we did like Saturday morning breakfast, we had pretty much the same stuff. Basically be fried eggs, bacon, and sausage. That would be about it for, for most of it. And it's not, it's something I never got tired of. So that was about it. During the week growing up, um, it was cereal or waffles. That was about it. And uh turned out well. Yeah, sounds good. Now I'm hungry. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. Um, have we have we settled the debate where we're plus three for, for Waho here? I think that's. I don't know if that was actually a debate. I think that was just one where everybody was like, "Holy crap!" Ken coming in with the coldest take of all time. That's pretty cold. Well, uh, let, Andy, let me ask you a question. Uh, what is a what is a piece of advice that you were once given that you still try and use today? Hmm. Wow, that's a tough one. I can start this I've one been out. Given so much, I've been given so much advice over the years, you know, some of it professional, personal. 
Um, I will say something that my dad said uh, when I was learning to drive uh, has always stuck with me. And uh, no matter what you're doing, and he was, he was talking about driving, but who, whoever you're with, they're your passengers. And once they're your passengers, they're your responsibility. And I, I always said that not just not just learning to drive and that in that, but just who who you're with and who you're attached to, they're your responsibility. And and that can be that can be your family, you know, who you're married to, who your children are, it can be who you're working with, who's reporting to you, who you report to, uh, your friends, uh, colleagues, anything like that. Um, try to try to realize that we all have a responsibility to each other and, and that if you're in, or if anybody's in my kind of sphere of influence, I try to keep that in mind that, that their safety and, and well-being is at least partially in my hands. It's pretty profound, really. I like that. I'm a deep thinker, Doc. It's <laughs> <laughs> a philosophizer. I love it. Dylan. Advice. I've got three. One of them is one of them is just always stuck with me because believe it or not, it's something that my dad said to me when I was young, uh, probably twelve or thirteen. By the time I understood what the word was, his his advice was don't be a dick. In all things, don't be a dick. That was now I don't I'm not saying that I always abide by that, but that was the ultimate advice is disagree with people all you like, agree with them, whatever, just don't be a dick. Um the other two uh, sports was a very big deal in my life growing up. Um, one of the key pieces of advice I got when I was probably nine or ten um, was play every play like it is the most important play of your life. And I did that throughout my career. Uh, I did. I do. I still do that now. And just about anything I do, it doesn't matter if it's baseball or, or whatever it is. Every situation you're in or everything that you're doing, do it to the utmost of your abilities because you're only if you don't do it, you're not letting down your teammates, you're letting down yourself. Uh, so that was a big one. And then the other one is, is more just general life advice, um, and it is always be yourself. And that sounds very cliche, um, but that is one that I've always stuck with. That's always stuck with me. It's, it's always, always be genuine. People can like or dislike you. The most important thing is for you to like yourself. So just be who you are. That's good stuff, man. And I'm actually going going to uh, take a similar path as both, both of you guys and go with something that my dad told me um, and something, something my mom told me too. Uh, my dad told me when I was probably 10, I said, strive to be a diplomat in, in, your, in everything you do. And I said, well, what's a diplomat? And he said, a diplomat is somebody who could tell you to go to hell and make you look forward to the trip. And, <laughs> and I always thought that was just fantastic. And, uh, and I know my mom has told me before that nothing is ever as good or as bad as people will tell you it is. The truth is somewhere in the middle. So uh, I, that stuck out to me for a, for a very long time. And uh, that has been kind of running through my head for the past couple of days as uh, you know, when you start seeing the, these absolutely nuclear takes all over the place, then I'm just <laughs> like, it's never as good or as bad as people say it is. So, you know um, so that is actually where that question came from. That's why I wanted to ask you guys that. So 
Um, so moving on from that one, uh, Andy, you recommended the Hyperion series to me. Um, and I, I have only read the first two. I have not gotten to, um, Damien or the, the rise of Damien for the, for the last two of the books. But, uh, what is a book series that you loved? Oh boy. Uh, book series I love. Uh, well, the still incomplete Song of Ice and Fire series, uh, the Game of Thrones TV show is based off of. Uh, I loved that book series for a long time to the point where I've stopped watching the show uh, because I'm I'm hoping that probably uh, probably fruitlessly that uh, the author will actually finish the series, at which point I can, I'll go back and finish watching the TV show. Uh, but I, I love that book series. Um, there's a, a fantasy series, I think it was, it was written in the 70s, um, by a, a, an author named Stephen R. Donaldson. It's a, uh, it's a, it's a series, it's called, it's the, the series is called Fantasy uh, Series. And Say that again, you went out, hold on. Say that one more time, you, you went out for a second. Nobody heard the name of the series. The, the Thomas Covenant series and it's about a a uh, a man from our world who was a leper uh and has been living with leprosy and has, has basically been embittered by it somehow going into kind of a tolkien-esque uh fantasy world and you're never quite sure if this is actually happening to him or if he is actually delusional and he's not sure either, so he does he does things that maybe uh, he shouldn't, and then has to deal with the ramifications for it. It's it's very much kind of a a dark Tolkien esque uh, kind of uh, series. Um, I read that as a teenager and was was very impressed with it. Then, um, oh boy, there's so so many so many good ones. Those are the two that that jumped out. But uh, so, did you enjoy the Hyperion, the two Hyperion books? Oh yeah, the the first one was one of my favorite books that I've uh, that I've ever read. Uh, for for me, the uh, my go to series was Dark Tower, Stephen King. I, I just, oh yeah, of course, that's a great one. Yeah, I I had so so much fun reading that, and I remember getting to the getting to the last. Um, I read this on my Kindle, so I don't know exactly how many pages it was. I'll say it was the last forty percent of the book or something, and I just said. I'm going to sit right here and I'm going to read the rest of this series right now. And I did not move for the last four or five hours of this day. And, uh, man, that was, to me, it was incredibly satisfying. He, uh, King has always had a lot of trouble wrapping up his books. I, I don't know how many of his books you've read, but God, he always, he, he spins such a great yarn, but when that thing is done, it, it's just done. Um, but uh, but yeah, that that whole series. I remember my my wife and I, um, we read it at the, about the same time. And uh, I remember coming home from work one night, and she was like, <laughs> she was sitting on the bed in our room, and she's like, she's really upset, and she's like crying. I'm like, oh my god, what happened? And she just looks at me, <laughs> something from the book. She just goes, everybody's dying. <laughs> <laughs> well. That, it's it's funny you mentioned that because uh, you know the the joke was when uh, Game of Thrones the third season the red wedding happened uh, on Twitter all the uh, everybody was like 
Yes. Now you know why all your nerdy friends were really upset about 10 years ago. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah, but that, oh, that, first dark, that first Dark Tower book, The Gunslinger, in my opinion, that may be the – it may not be the quote-unquote best Stephen King book, but I think it's the most perfect It was my Stephen favorite King Stephen because King book. It's so distilled. It's, it's just – it's pure, and I think maybe because it was first written as a series of short stories, they, it has an economy of uh, language that – you know, you're exactly right, Doc. He does, you know, his novels do seem to kind of go on just a little bit more than would be welcome. Uh, that Gunslinger book, it is tight and it is, uh, it's mean, the mean book. Yeah. In a good way. Yeah. And I, I've, I really like Wizard and Glass in, the, in that series too. Yeah. That's a good one. But Dylan, book series? There are a ton. I'm a huge reader. Uh, first and foremost is the wheel of time or the eye of the world. That is the wheel of time series of books to me is the greatest epic ever written. Uh, some people don't like them. will think they're a little too lengthy, a little too descriptive, whatever to me, those were the perfect books to where when you're reading the book, he did Robert Jordan did such a great job of being descriptive that it literally, it was watching him like you were there. Better than watching a movie. And a good book is always better than a movie. uh, Because you picture everything. How everybody sounds, how they look, how they act, all that stuff. Uh, I have probably read that series through probably seven or eight times. I remember when the final book came out a few years back, A Memory of Light. When I finished it, I was almost... I was... Genuinely, I was was almost depressed. Because it was done. It was over. Uh, there was no more books to read. I was I was very depressed. Uh, the other one, and this one, I actually might end up liking this one more uh, if if he can ever be bothered to finish it. Is the Stormlight Archive from Brandon Sanderson, who wrote uh, books eleven and twelve and most of thirteen in uh, the Wheel of Time series, who took over for Robert Jordan. Those two, there's only two of them outright, or there's three of them out right now, and then there's like a little addendum book. Uh, they are incredible, start to finish. The character depth, the the storytelling, the actual characters themselves, they are incredible. The problem with Brandon Sanderson is, you know how Andy, I don't know if you've ever read much of Sanderson, um, but you're an R.R. R. Martin fan, so you know how it takes R.R. R. Martin seven years to finish a book. Sanderson writes like he has literally he has four different book series going on that he's writing right now. So it takes so long in between the books because he wrote the Mistborn series and what started as a three book series has like 12 books in it now. Uh, He wrote uh, there's another there's another little series involved in there. Then he's got the Stormlight Archive and he has it all engrossed almost like Stephen King does. Uh, It's all engrossed in the same universe so he actually has a book he's written to explain how each of these is in the same universe mm. it, it is it is an epic epic level of writing um and i'll i'll even throw out something that's a little bit odd um i'm i was not a big this is gonna sound bad like i love the hobbit but outside of that i wasn't a big tolkien fan like i didn't like the lord of the rings books at all uh I love the Hobbit. That was it. Um, I, I I don't like a lot of these other classic series. Terry Goodkind 
has a great series, Legend of the Seekers, a very good series. Um, but you know, everybody talks about uh, uh, the Shannara Chronicles. Don't like those. I read. I have the first one. It was just too boring. Um, it, it gets really hard for me when I feel I started off with too good of a book series because now everything else seems bad in comparison. So Doc has been on me to read Hyperion. So we have we have a trade going on in mind. He is going to loan me Hyperion, and I will loan him Ninja Turtles three, and uh, that way we are both <laughs> we both make sure that we get it back from the other one. It's uh, there. There are so many great series out there, man. It's tough to it's tough to narrow down which ones are really like, um, you know, because once you mention one, it's like you got to mention another, and that actually kind of leads me right into my next question. Um, there is a. a segment that they do on Sirius XM channel 18 Beatles radio. It's called the fab four where they'll have all types of different people come on and say, uh, you know, talk about what their four favorite Beatles songs are. And I have always thought, I don't know how I could possibly narrow down my four favorite Beatles songs. But unfortunately, Andy, that is the question that I have drawn for you. What is your <laughs> fab four? Wow. Uh, four favorite Beatles songs. You might notice this, uh, okay. is, this is the fourth question too. That's that was not an accident. So, what's your four favorite okay. songs? I appreciate the symmetry. I will go with uh, "Strawberry Fields Forever" and boy, uh, something which I think is probably the greatest love song of all time. I will go with uh, wow. Um, I'll have to say, Hey Jude, just because my oldest son is named Jude after the song. So, um, and let's round it out with, uh, a day in the life. That's strong. That is a, that's that is a strong, strong four. four. No, that's, that's real strong. I thought you were going to drop in, uh, like Octopus's Garden or something, because you had a John, a Paul, and a George all in there. So I'm thinking, if you hit one from each, then Listen, that's hold no one, I, no I, one's I thought, favorite. I I thought about that and just like, no, nah, no, I can't do it. No, no one's favorite can be a Ringo song. Let's just be honest, that can't happen. Oh, uh, you, you you wouldn't put Act Naturally in your uh, in your Fab Four? No, and I'm glad you asked. So my Fab Four, uh, while my guitar gently weeps. Um, a day in the life, I agree with there. Don't let me down. And then my number one favorite is not even a Beatles song. Please, Mr. Postman. I think that's the greatest cover of all time. I am enthralled with that song every time I hear it. That's a good one. And you're going. Uh, I like the the three Beatles one you chose, and that's that's a really good cover too. That's uh, that's our that's our transition music, isn't it? Yes, I do have that one in transition music, and I've used it twice. I love it. <laughs> um, I I actually um, I had the advantage of foresight here, is that I actually got to stop and think of, about um, which I would choose. And as it turns out, my four are all Paul songs. I think you, we have talked about um, uh, ranking the members, and for me, it's Paul, George, Ringo, uh, Pete Best, Stuart Sutcliffe. Uh, George Martin and then um, John <laughs> all the way at the very bottom. I, I just there's something about John Lennon that I just I can't I, I can't explain it. Maybe it's because he was in Forrest Gump. I don't I don't know. 
But for me, my four are Blackbird, When I'm 64, Eleanor Rigby, and Two of Us, which are all Paul songs. And Eleanor Rigby's uh, great. Yeah, and last year I got to go, or Val and I got to go and see Paul McCartney live. And, like, I got, like, even getting tickets was, like, an emotional experience. I'm, like, so overwhelmed. I'm so happy. It's, like, getting to see a living legend. And then... I remember my dad showing me how to play Blackbird on the guitar and talking about, you know, when he was learning how to play, there was no site you could go to to look up the the tab for it. It's all just like you figure it out by ear. And I remember he said that and Mood for a Day by Yes were two songs that he he just had so much trouble um, learning on his own. And so during the show, you know, Paul's band is so tight. They're so so in tune he's had the the exact same lineup for the longest time and uh everybody left the stage except for him and he started playing blackbird and like he's on this big riser that lifts him up over the crowd and it was like i'm not gonna lie to you man i got a little misty it was just like the perfect um combination of like experience and memories and everything all being together at once it was like it's it's weird they're so the Beatles and they're so ubiquitous. They're so meaningful to everybody in such a different way. Like it's they, it's cliche because they're you know they're what everything sprang out of. They're they're just so wonderful. Talking about uh, McCartney Live, my my top concert moment of all time. I saw McCartney at RFK Stadium in 1991 and uh it was on the 4th of july and just in the middle of the set he goes hey america i hear it's your birthday <laughs> and blew up and he said and it just it was the most amazing thing and it and it set off a you know it, it, as the song was going off a, a firework show started going off that lasted like 15 minutes it was just it was amazing uh i've seen mccartney now five times and uh he just it, it, he's he's growing older but he is not growing slower that guy he's amazing yeah, that was that was the most amazing thing about it is I mean he was he's what seventy five now I mean and he was I've seen a bunch of concerts within the, in the last couple of years and he outside of Foo Fighters he was the most energetic one I mean he's just he's everywhere on stage you know yeah uh, I guess being a vegetarian and smoking a lot of weed really helps preserve <laughs> that so. just ask that's true. Time. Well, and you know the the you know concert started at like eight fifteen or so, so it's not like you know he might have just been taking a nap all day long. He he's Sir Paul; he can get away with that. He can do whatever he wants. Sure, but but uh, and now I don't know if you can hear them, but it's my dog's turn to be freaking out. They are really pissed at whoever is walking in front of my house right now. So. <laughs> yeah, well, my dog was barking just a little bit earlier, and I think it was he was still upset over your terrible John take, but. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> oh man, I I'll I'll wear that. That that's one of my most controversial music well, tapes. It I definitely think. is. Anybody that says that John Lennon is worse than Ringo Starr, I mean that that's that's a controversial take. Look, man, Ringo Starr is important. Okay, he, that is How? that is a special man. Whatever, a special man. That's a, that's a whole have... other podcast. We gotta we gotta move this along. Andy, what's your right. ideal profession? 
I'm sorry, what was that? What's your ideal profession? My ideal profession? Oh, you know, if I could make a living being a sports writer, that would be great. But uh, that, that wasn't in the cards for me. You don't know that? I mean, you're still going on right now. What about you, Doc? Weatherman. I would be weatherman. the best weatherman ever. <laughs> weatherman? I mean, I guess it's the only job you can get paid six figures to be wrong 90% of the time. Yeah, I mean, there, there's no accountability. Like, You just walk in, eh, sunny. Yeah, I mean, you, you've heard, like, when uh, whenever I'm, we've got our sponsors and I'm reading their ads for them, I can turn on the cheese like nothing, man. You know, you put me in a suit in front of a green screen, whatever, dude. Bajillionaire, the world's greatest weatherman. What would you do? Well, my ideal profession did not work out. That was going to be be a professional ball player. Um, since I can't say that, I and this <laughs> this this is considered controversial among some of our circles. But I want to be a I want to be in sports radio. Obviously, uh, anybody who knows me knows that is uh, that is my career path, and uh, that is what I plan on working out. And I don't just want to be a sports radio guy. I want to be the best. <laughs> Well, it would be nice to get a good one. I want to be the guy who's there for 40 years. I want to be that guy who, when he's 75, is telling all the youngsters, and it won't be it won't even be radio then. It'll just be whatever the new broadcast system is. is you don't remember this player. I remember this guy. In my day, back in my day, pitchers went six innings, not three and a half. <laughs> You know when uh, when we had Domino on and he and he was talking about how how he interviewed God, was it Ted Williams or Stan Musial that, that you know just the the list of guys that he had to interview. I mean, he's done both of those. That's you know that's um, that's a pretty good model to strive for. Who knows? You know if we if we can get Bruce Zimmerman on, you'll be able to talk about how you you had him on the show before he was in the the Hall of Fame. Dude, he's already he's already got the, the mustache. Bruce Zimmerman is the guy that's going to bring young baseball fans and old baseball fans together because he has the catfish hunter mustache. No pressure, Bruce. I know you're still listening. I don't know. I think we chased everybody out. Viva la mustache. (laughs) I don't know if you know our our listenership, Andy. We have a very intelligent listening crowd, sir. They like books. Well, I tell you what, man. Thanks thanks all three of you that are still listening out there for for being on this this far. Yeah, anybody who who made it through the uh, the talk about uh, Gunslinger and and Wizard and Glass, they must really want to be here. But I will say say this. um, This is a a question that that has just kind of become a tradition. And unfortunately, I think that we've asked it so many times that we've exhausted all of our answers. But, Andy, you got to tell an embarrassing childhood story. Oh boy, uh, which one to choose? Uh, I, you know, I, I think it's—I I don't know if this is a story or not—but when I was very young, my dad was in the Air Force, and uh, hold on, and uh, he was stationed at Andrews Air Force Base in, in Maryland, and he told me, "Hey, you know they named that Air Force Base after you, right?" And I went. Uh, awfully long time actually believing that probably longer than than i should have to the point where i would tell i would tell schoolmates yeah i got air force base named after me what do you got i'm important i'm a pretty big deal 
that is that is outstanding. Uh, yeah, that, that's great. I love that. <laughs> I haven't exhausted all of mine, but for the sake of time and to keep people waiting, we'll call this a long tease. Uh, you guys will have to wait until next week to hear yet another of my embarrassing stories. Um, there are probably another 15,000 to choose from. But as it is, I know we've taken up a lot of your time. Thanks you, thank you very much to everybody who made it all the way to the end with us. We do so appreciate it. Uh, if you like the show, if you just feel like supporting us, go ahead and subscribe to us on iTunes, on uh, Stitcher, on CastBox, on the new Podbean app. Whatever it is you like to listen to us on, subscribe there. Leave us a little review so everybody knows what you're thinking. Um, follow us on Twitter at TPS underscore podcast. Thank you to my guest, Andy Harris, who I always enjoy talking to. Always good to get a, to get a colleague on the air. And you can follow him, if you're not already, at K26DP. Best handle on Twitter. Yes. We're not going to tell you what it means. You're all baseball fans. You should automatically know what it means. Just like you know what a platinum sombrero means. And that is what we give you. Thank you, guys. We will catch you, we'll catch you guys again next week right here on the Platinum Sombrero. <laughs> Thanks, bye.